2: This is Central Texas Living with Ann Harder.
3: It is a joy to welcome to the podcast today Jacob Sherwin, who uh, is uh, from the North Texas area, came to Baylor, and uh, has a master's degree in linguistics. And uh, it's just a, a delight to get to meet you and get to, uh, to hear a little bit about your story.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Ann. It's a great pleasure.
3: So, so you're born in the Denton area. And uh, tell me about your childhood.
1: Well, during my childhood, I had great Christian parents growing up. I was very thankful and very blessed to have that. We went to church every Sunday, and I always remember church being a part of my life, and it led up to me being accepted, being accepting Christ when I was 13. And after residing in Denton for the time, we went to McKinney, where I spent all of my grade school years until I got accepted to Baylor and moved down here. Family actually followed me um, during my sophomore year at Baylor. So I was fortunate to live in the dorm for a few years straight, then I was brought home, even though they said this is really just a place for you to live <laughs> and sleep, pretty much. Yeah, you don't have to stay here all the time. But I was very thankful for childhood and even thankful for adulthood now.
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and so you have a passion, and and that's to bring awareness to autism. So so tell me about your walk uh, with the autism spectr- spectrum.
1: Well. I was actually diagnosed rather early. I was eight and I was in second grade. My second grade teacher started to notice I had some weird trends such as random meltdowns in class. Students would end up pushing me to my limit, not even knowing, and I didn't know why I was even upset. I had no reasonable explanation, so went through all of, most of grade school until fifth grade came about and After I had been diagnosed, I realized, okay, I'm having to go out of the classroom more than once or twice a day. Why is this? And I asked my mom, little few, back in fifth grade, and she said, honey, you have autism. So I was a little concerned about what that was. I didn't really hurt or hit like a brick at all. It was just rather curious, like, okay, that explains a lot. And I had heard of people with autism and Down syndrome, people with other disabilities, but I saw them as normal people just different like everybody else. So I went through all of my grade school years, and to be honest, I never had any true friends. There's no friends that I have right now that I can even still call friends that I had made except for maybe two people. That was after I got to senior year of high school. Of course, the acquaintanceships were very great. I was very grateful for those. And every friendship I tried and attempted, I never could get a firm grasp on it. I either ended up getting hurt left it out of a gathering, mm-hmm. just figuring out why is this happening? And there were even times where I asked God, why are you bringing this to me? And it took me until my senior year of high school, the church I was attending actually welcomed seniors to give a small sermonette of where, where God is leading them. And I stood there with the other seniors in front of the congregation and used Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous, do not be terrified or discouraged, for I am with you wherever you go, as God is telling Joshua before he least the Israelites. So I used that verse in mind, and I told the whole church about my story, about where he was leading me, told everyone, I have this disability, but God has shown me to use it as a simple challenge that everyone encounters every day, that even though it's a standardized disability, according to the Diagnostic Statistic Manual, it's still a challenge that everyone else has. We all have our... Works. We are OCD. We're several different things, Mm
3: -hmm. but that's easily distracted. I mean, there's all kinds of things.
1: But that's what makes us unique. And so I live right now in the idea of, okay, what challenges am I going to have today? Am I going to be ready for them? How am I going to approach it? Am I going to let it keep me down, or am I going to do something about it? For example, I can cower in my room all day, not talk to anybody, and I won't have any friends. And it was God telling me through grade school years. You need to do something. You can't just have people come to you or expect that everything's going to be perfect. Because I need to realize that it's going to be imperfect during our time here on earth. And God has used autism as a weakness to humble me in many ways. And most people ask me nowadays, why are you so quiet? I say, because it's better to listen, in my opinion, than to really say something. Because some people may not like what I have to say, because <laughs> it may be too random. I'm still working on that. Because we get so distracted, and anything that pops in our head, people with my disability, we think we have to say it all of a sudden. So, I've been overall, I've been very grateful. I'm on the high functioning end of the spectrum, and as far as in encountering anybody with it, still treat them like a regular individual, and do my best to be a friend, be an acquaintance to them. Mm-hmm. And even if they're high functioning like me, and I see challenges that they've gone through, both that I've gone through that they have right now, even at my age, I, depending on how the strength of the relationship is, I remind them, okay, you have this challenge. You're a Christian, right? They usually say yes. I say, what are you going to do about it? If they're not believers, I say, so what have you got going on today? How can you overcome this? What is your most uncomfortable Feelings. So you, it's better to push the limits to where you're comfortable and realize, okay, here are my limits. I work better next time. Cause it's always trial and error. People like me think, why is it not perfect all the time? It's always trial and error because we have to realize that nothing's going to be a set system, especially in creation. Our minds think systematically. So we have to realize it's not going to be that way. Prepare yourself for that.
3: High-functioning is the, the term you used uh, in your diagnosis. Uh, was there a specific diagnosis that uh, you received on, uh, you know, when you were a child?
1: Yes, this was back before the recent Diagnostic Statistic Manual came out with mm-hmm. the American Psychology Association. Back then, it was classified as simple Asperger's syndrome, which is no longer on the spectrum, so they just call it high-functioning autism.
3: Really? So Asperger's is not really considered...
1: It goes back and forth. I've mm-hmm. heard many mm. differing opinions. Psychology is a unique field in yeah. that area. Some people say, oh, it's this. it's this, it's, it's, I'll say this overall. It's made a huge progression from the old derogatory term, which I'm not going to use, right. to what it is now, simple, high-functioning autism, mm-hmm. which I'm grateful for. I just wish Asperger's syndrome would still be a thing, just like we have Down syndrome. That's not classified as anything other than that, except mm-hmm. maybe trisonomy, whatever the name is
3: are there certain things that you're extra good at like remembering things or you know i i have had encounters with uh individuals with asperger's i mean it's how he'd describe it and he could tell you every school mascot of every Mm -hmm. every school in the state of texas i mean and and would remember in minute detail things that had happened almost to his detriment because then he would kind of ruminate on on things he had a hard time putting things away you know in the past um and are there any specific things like that 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 you're kind of blessed with really in a way it's something something different and unique
1: oh yes my gift to learn languages yes is one of those my second language right now is french even though i've never been officially tested of what my fluency is except by a faculty member during grad school but i'm able to learn languages well i'm still working on russian as my third one and i can understand just a tiny little bit of spanish wow. with um the French knowledge that I know because mm-hmm. it...
3: The Romance language is all kind of weave together. Yes. Like Italian will be a little bit, you know, kind of like that as well, we, I guess.
1: We can thank Latin for that. <laughs> and I'm also good at instruments. I can pick up almost every instrument, not every instrument actually, certain instruments after I've studied them a little bit mm-hmm. and I can try to play something on them. It takes time. I can read sheet music really well. To this day, I can say I play, I've played five different instruments. So the, ch- the cello I tried for a little bit. I was a percussionist in high school. Mm-hmm. I can play the piano. I am learning the bagpipes. Really? And I took a semester of organ at Baylor.
3: Wow. Oh, that's great. Um, let's talk about your Baylor experience. Um, how, how would you typify it uh, as a student there?
1: I would say it was full of challenging yet Faith, spiritual giving experiences. I was very blessed to have great professors that took interest in every student who challenged them enough that they wanted to see their best. They let students find their limits and what they could excel in as well. Plus, the professors made themselves very available and also open to helping you out as long as you actually showed that you were trying, as, you showed, as long as you showed that you wanted help showing you were lost. And even to the point of if you had a bad day or were depressed that you didn't get a good grade on the test, they were very open to counseling you, saying you have other opportunities to help you out. So the amount of mercy and the grace of the Holy Spirit through these professors was very rewarding, and I loved that. Plus, my friends, my colleagues were great mentors as well to me, one-on-one, and actually became mentors to some of them. Too. And it helped make me be a better and nicer person, even though everyone's going to have the bad days. It's not going to be perfect, but I had to train my brain to say, OK, what's going to happen today? How can I be nice? How can I not get mad if somebody has an opinion that's contradictory to mine or the general population in the course?
3: You, you want to bring attention to autism, though. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is the one thing you think people just absolutely don't understand about the autism spectrum?
1: Well, about that, it's we're not broken. People would think that we're broken. I've been told by some people that after I've told them about my challenge, it's usually people that I trust that I come to establish a connection with. I know their heart. I've heard their story. And it's usually whenever I tell them just to show that God has done something in me, that he can do something in them as well. It's to be an encouragement. The biggest thing that's a hindrance that people have the impression of is there's a stigmata. There's a stigma that's created Mm -hmm. whenever you tell someone that. So they see you differently. So they can't see past that. And I say, why can't you see past that and see what God has done in me? And someone even told me, why do you have to tell people all the time? I go, I yeah, because
3: nobody would know by looking at you that there's anything.
1: Right. And I just do it as an encouragement, really, yeah. not to say, I'm special. You, <laughs> I deserve this. No, by no means. We, we're not earned any privilege like that. And another thing is people confuse the disability with schizophrenia. Oh.
3: Yes. We, mm. th-
1: we sometimes see images in our minds and such. The difference I see is we don't have the seizures. And... It's not common that we hear random people talking to us. It may be in dreams, but as far as, like, in person, it's very rare that that ever happens.
3: Um, It's time for us to kind of wrap things up but I want to get to know you a little bit better by um, asking you some questions and talk about talk about random things so you can be as random as you want to be with this uh, but this is a little questionnaire that was uh, on the late, great James Lipton's show Inside the Actor's Studio and uh, so it's it's just sort of questions to get inside your head a little bit. What What's your favorite word?
1: Hmm. What is my favorite word? I would have to say it's a German word. It's <laughs> which Okay. It's about 20 yay characters long. Yeah. And <laughs> What it, does it mean though? Well, it's actually a word that comes from the lament had after the Holocaust. It means d- d- dwelling on the past events with regret and thinking, okay, there's going to be better life later. And that's what's great about language. There's some words in some languages that cannot be explained with one word in English. So you have to understand the cultural context behind it.
3: And thankfully German provides, provides that for us in this case. Uh, what's your least favorite word?
1: Well, out of all of the curse words, <laughs> um, one that isn't one, I would probably have to say, hmm, there's no big word that actually grinds my gears. Okay. So I have to say there's no answer to that.
3: One. All right, there you go. Um, what sound do you love the best?
1: I enjoy the sound of an organ um i whether it's in church or a concert hall I like to but this was what I did in France when I lived there for four months studying abroad. I'd go by the cathedral I'd hear the organ playing I'd go sit there after class, listen because whenever I hear music, I can- s- close my eyes and sometimes I see scenes or colors, so a little bit of synesthesia almost
3: excellent what what sound do you not like
1: I don't like. Sudden sounds, mm-hmm. things that startle, such as a loud bang or even static. If a sound is constant and is ongoing, and is rather high pitched or too low, it just makes me feel very sensitive. Mm-hmm. And usually, as the autism disability shows, if something doesn't go our way or it bothers us, we have to remove ourselves from the situation, which I've had to do before. I try, we all try not to make a scene, but we just excuse ourselves and calm ourselves down after that.
3: Mm, Good. What do you want to hear God say to you when you enter the pearly gates?
1: When I enter the pearly gates, as he told David, no, I forgot who he told it to, but the one whom he'd say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome home
3: excellent oh jacob it's been a delight to get to visit with you and to to hear uh, your heart about the world of autism uh where you find yourself but uh it's it's just such a blessing to me to uh, hear how you've uh, overcome challenges and want to help people understand
1: Mm -hmm. well thank you very much and it's been a pleasure to be interviewed and just share my heart i appreciate you having me
2: What's the one thing people always say they wish they still had after a disaster or fire? Photographs. Revision Photo Restoration is dedicated to helping preserve and restore your memories. Take advantage of this extra time you have at home to go through those old boxes of photos. If you're feeling overwhelmed by the process, follow them on Pinterest for organizational tips and tricks for old photos. They have on-site fire and weatherproof storage facilities to ensure the safety of your images so you don't have to ship off all your memories to a larger company. Revision can handle everything from slides and negatives to film and prints. Revision Photo Restoration is local to Waco and located at 2001 Franklin Avenue. Call 254-254-254. 297-9754 297-9754 for an appointment, or instructions on how to send in files digitally. Revision Photo Restoration. Check them out on Instagram at photo.
1: guide through Waco. I'm here to tell you all the goings on in and around Waco. I'm going to give you the 411 on what's happening, what's going on, and what events you should go to. This is your host Debbie, signing
0: off. Now that you know, go. Just go, Waco. You are
1: going on a run.
3: If you're a fan of motorsports, you can be a part of the inaugural run of a Grand Prix right here in Central Texas. It's the Grosbeck Grand Prix set for this coming September. And joining me now, Michael Satterfield, known as the Gentleman Racer. It's good to have you.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
3: <laughs> now, you're originally from California. What brought you to Texas?
0: Uh, well, my work has had me travel all over the world. Um, I was working in Japan and came back to the U.S. and kind of was disenfranchised with California now wanting to you know, buy an eight hundred thousand house in a really bad neighborhood so I thought I'm gonna start looking at other parts of the country um, and I settled on a few and did some road trips and motorcycle trips across the country checking out different spots and just kind of landed here in Central Texas so you've always been
3: interested in cars and oh yeah that kind of racing and that kind of thing
0: so it kind of comes from my dad uh, he worked in the automotive industry he still does uh, as a consultant with a lot of big automotive companies, mostly interior design and stuff like that. Hmm. So I always grew up with him bringing home interesting cars, and I bought my first car when I was 14. So oh, my goodness. Yeah, kind of got into it really young and <laughs> buying and selling and flipping cars and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's kind of been a lifelong thing for me, and uh, motorsports just kind of is just a bigger part of that.
3: So, So what is it you do for a living?
0: So uh, a couple things. I, uh, I run the gentleman which is my automotive men's kind of lifestyle website. A uh, lot of car stories, uh, history stories about vehicles, road trips, travel, stuff like that. And then I also have a uh, clothing company and we do a lot of automotive apparel for different brands, including like Golf Oil. We've done stuff for Shelby, Lamborghini and stuff like that. So kind of a design and, uh, you know. Storytelling website, I guess.
3: Uh, but you're you're a journalist as well. You also do a lot of writing.
0: Yes, I also write for uh, Society Texas Magazine. I've contributed to Tailgater Magazine, and several other publications here in Texas and around the country.
3: Of course, the um, whole NASCAR thing sort of been in the news recently, and and you actually do some consulting with some folks about. It. I mean, that that whole noose in the yeah. <laughs> in, in the in the garage bay, you know, that sort of just blew up, and um, it has had a lot of ripple effect, hasn't it?
0: Oh yeah, I mean it definitely catapulted NASCAR into the mainstream press in a way that they probably weren't super excited about. Um, oh yeah, there are memes all over. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's definitely social media. It's definitely very meme worthy. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was actually doing some consulting. I do a lot of um, media and kind of just social media consulting for a lot of different brands, including a few smaller NASCAR teams. That just kind of were looking for some guidance on how they should be responding to things like this, and you know what their involvement should be and just giving them some advice on that. Cause I I've been doing media and marketing for over 20 years specifically in the automotive space.
3: So I, I think a lot of people, you know, myself certainly at the top of the list, don't really understand a lot about the whole, the whole racing world. Um, there's lots of different types of racing. I mean, the NASCAR, the uh, you know Indianapolis 500, that kind of stuff. Uh, but let's talk about Grand Prix in particular because uh, you're you, and why Grosbeck? I, <laughs> I got to get to that first.
0: So the choice of calling it the Grosbeck Grand Prix is a little more uh, about alliteration than the actual <laughs> type of racing. Uh, the actual event we're holding is a vintage time trial. Uh, which is gonna be basically a timed course that has a start and an end point. And we're doing it that way, one, just because the road lends itself to that because we are closing down a public road in uh, in a park to to do this. Also, it gives us a great opportunity to show these vintage, really unique cars uh, in motion, which most people don't ever get to see. Like If you go to a vintage race event, they're usually held out at private tracks like Crescent or uh, uh, down in Houston, the, the motorsports parks, and not a lot of general public get in to go and see these cars. And some of the cars we have coming are so special. Uh, the car that won the Fuji Grand Prix in Japan in 1973 is coming. We've got cars coming from as far away as North Carolina, vintage NASCARs that are coming. So it's going to be a really eclectic mix of great cars. Um and it's going to be something that most people aren't going to have a chance to ever see. I mean, to see a, a Chevron B25 and a vintage Ford Fairlane NASCAR running down the same course is going to be pretty special. So, we're really excited about it.
3: So, so how big a course is this? I'm thinking, you know, now we just sort of had to back off a little bit on our <laughs> opening of the state. This was an outdoor event, obviously. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's a 1.5-mile it's a uh, mm-hmm. course, so it's just a, basically it's a public park road that we've gotten permission to close down. And um, what park is that? It's going to be the uh, historic uh, Old Fort, Fort Restoration. Park Restoration, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a pretty neat place. And it's a great place to visit anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's so great. And the cool thing is that the whole event is focused on charity and community. And we're bringing together a lot of really neat uh, elements to this event that'll be a little different than most car club car, car shows you'd go to yeah, or races. Yeah, I've been like to that, those so. kind of
3: things, and it's fun just to kind of wander around and see see the restored mm-hmm. vehicles that that folks have you know poured poured their love and money into. Um, but yeah, the but the opportunity to see them actually race is uh, is really kind of cool. My son lives in Florida, and uh, I think this was his his kind of midlife thing. But <laughs> he he bought a, a Porsche nine eleven. Uh-huh. Nineteen ninety one. Yep, great car. and he's actually taken it to a track and yeah, and, and run it. I think he burned up the clutch doing
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, but,
3: but anyway, having such a ball with it. So, is this that same kind of kind of thing?
0: Yeah, I mean, the cars that are running, they have to be uh, certified race cars. So they're either like Vintage Auto Racing Association approved cars, uh, Sports Car Club of America approved cars, Porsche Owners Club cars. So they have to have all the safety equipment and things that would be required to race on an actual track. And that's just for everyone's safety because we are running down a basically a public road that has trees and things like that. We are running a lot of like hay bales and things like that to make it as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. And most of the people that are coming, uh, we've we've talked to them personally and they all understand this is more of an exhibition type thing. It's going to be fun. Yeah. There are trophies. We have some really cool prizes and things like that to give to the winners who set the best time. Uh, But it's more of an experience to kind of inspire that next generation to get into restoring these cars, uh, learning about these cars because uh, the average age of most of these car owners are seeing are 60 plus. Yeah. Um, a lot of the events you go to, they're 60, 70 years old. Um, they're cars that they have either owned since the 60s or cars that they always wanted since the 60s. And they finally got to a point where they can go out and buy that well, they could afford and, and, it, yeah. and run it. So uh, it's going it's it to be a very really interesting event. And the cars we have for the car show side are also going to be pretty exciting too. So there's going to be something for everybody. Um, we've got some other really cool artists coming too to do some displays and things like that, like live painting exhibitions and things like that. So there's going to be a lot of elements. We're still sorting things out as far as... Laying out the grounds because, again, with the COVID situation, we don't know how much space we're going to have to have, um, spacing, how many we're going to have to limit our spectator count to mm. at this point. So uh,
3: you're, you're not planning to have stands, grandstand to watch or, or not? Or, no,
0: it's, it's it's with the big field. It's not going
3: to be that kind of no, race. No, it
0: won't be that kind of race. It'll, it'll be more like a festival type atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, the parade grounds there at uh, Fort Park are a great, huge, grassy field. So we're going to have some tents set up for, like, shade so people can sit and watch and have, you know, food and snack and drink and watch as the cars go by. Uh, inside the forts where the uh, select cars will be for the Mejia Concours, which is going to be a really cool event as well, which is bringing cars from uh, Pebble Beach quality cars to Central Texas, which is pretty rare. Um, some of these cars literally are worth, you know, millions of dollars. Uh, so it's going to be a really cool event to have kind of this contrast of the the hardcore raced used cars and then the fully restored pristine cars inside the fort that people are going to be uh, uh, able to see. And, our our concord director Greg Riley is working with a lot of really great um, collectors to bring a, an eclectic mix of cars that kind of show the history, the evolution, the uh, mechanical engineering side of vehicles, how they advance from the earliest days up to the modern era.
3: Yeah, uh, educational too, really for folks. If, and if you're you're interested in learning more, certainly about. Um Racing and, like you say, the history of it, because the, these are primarily going to be vintage cars.
0: Yeah, our cutoff is 1985. Okay, so, so yeah, yeah even my be, son's yeah. car would
3: be too <laughs> too modern for yeah, it. exactly. Uh, for, for years. So how many racers? So let's talk about some of the racers you've got coming. Some names I, I recognized when I saw. Your, yeah,
0: we have, um, you know, Texas Powell, Ta- Tex Powell's brother, uh, Mike Powell's coming. He's uh, a NASCAR uh pit crew manager, uh, worked with A.J. Foyt and some of the biggest NASCAR teams. Um, He's bringing his 64 Ford Fairlane NASCAR out. Uh, The car raced short track. It won a bunch of races in North Carolina and around the south, and he's bringing that car all the way out from North Carolina. Another North Carolina interesting is Todd, Todd Morris. He's got a really interesting restored, well technically it's unrestored, but it's kind of a preservation of a 1960s Race car with the updated modern safety stuff, mm-hmm. but it's a, a Austin Healy that was raced all across SCCA uh, up and down the East Coast uh, throughout the '60s and '70s. Uh, we have the Chevron B25, which is the car that won in Fuji in Japan in 1973, won the sports car championship there. Very significant car. And again, several other MGs and Porsches and you know, Austin Healy's and Fiats and things like that are coming. So it's going to be a really fun event.
3: Now. I was just general in saying it's in September. What, do you have exact dates for this?
0: Yeah, September 5th and 6th. so okay, the first so the weekend. First weekend. Yeah, first weekend, yeah. Well, Labor Day. Labor Day weekend, right yeah. It's, it's kind of a, a – it worked out really well for us because all the other big races got canceled. <laughs> so yeah. there's a lot of guys who are like, oh, I guess I'll come do this one because it's still happening. Uh, so, yeah, we're really excited to have those dates and be working with Fort Parker and, you know, again, Limestone County. Everyone has been really – really supportive of the event in the local community which going in with something like this as kind of a relatively new transplant to the area I didn't know how well it would be accepted so uh, they were really excited to have something um different because even like the lady who runs Fort Parker she was saying like it's kind of nice to have something it's not like a civil war reenactment yeah right <laughs> yeah.
3: thank thank the lord yeah <laughs> let's, let's stay away from that if we can yeah a little bit <laughs> <laughs> well um so well, folks need to get a, my passes, or how, how are you going to do this? So, the so spectators? we have,
0: we have two-day passes mm-hmm. uh, for both days. Uh, they can buy them online at uh, com. There's a ticketing section. Uh, there's also camping available on-site. So if you want to come out and make it a whole weekend, oh, wow. there's on-site tent camping and RV camping. Uh, we've got a lot of really you know kind of cool things set up coming as far as vendors, food vendors, and things like that will be there. Uh, so, yeah, it, you can make a whole weekend of it. You can come out for a day. The, the other kind of fun thing is we have classic car clubs from Dallas, Austin, Houston. They're all planning rallies to come out and drive out in a group to the event, probably on Sunday for the big event, because Saturday is going to be more like testing and, and and passing inspections and all that stuff and people you know practicing on the on the course. And then Sunday they'll be setting their actual trial times for trying to win the their, their category. So uh, we have a lot of car clubs coming out for that day to, to do these rallies. So you'll see a lot of... Really interesting cars just in the parking lot, and we've got a special parking section set aside for car clubs too. So,
3: Wow. Yeah, a lot of interest, though, in it. And, and you mentioned the categories. So what are the categories? What will they be broken down?
0: Uh, they're mostly divided up by the type of vehicle for um, – Displacement. So, if it's like above two liter or below two liter, as far as the engine displacement, whether it's naturally aspirated or turbocharged, supercharged, things like that. So, you could be speaking Greek to me. Yeah, it's it's pretty complicated. <laughs> and uh, people that understand
3: it know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, thankfully, Richard Tomlin. He's our he's our, uh, our race director. <laughs> that is a name I've heard yeah, before. Yeah, I mean, great guy down from Houston. I yeah. met him down in Mexico, actually covering some racing events in Mexico. Mm-hmm. He's raced all across Mexico and around the U.S. And uh, he's actually taking the lead on this and put together all the rules and the categories and things like that to make this a, a safe and cool event. As as the different types of vehicles we're going to end up getting
3: well this is it's exciting i i mentioned this to other people you know so how's the podcast well i'm going to talk to this guy and mike satterfield and he's going to do this wow that is just so cool you know so the, I i don't think it's going to be a hard sell for you how are you going to be marketing this
0: so um basically starting in july uh i've got a bunch of basically road trips i'm gonna be going all around we got posters getting printed right now Good. we mm-hmm. did some really cool vintage race car artwork shows Fort Parker in the background. It's got cool. um, a, a red sports car, and it's got the giant arrow stuck in the ground. That's the start of the Kwani Parker Trail, mm-hmm. which starts there at the fort. So uh, that's actually where our finish line is, is this giant arrow. So that's why if you look on the website, it says underneath the, the main logo, Race to the Arrow, because <laughs> you start from the end, and you, and you end up at this arrow. Mm-hmm. So... It's a, it's a pretty cool poster. We've had a lot of good response to it. People really like it. Uh, I, I drew it up uh, the other you know, a couple days ago and kind of got it floating around, got some approval from everybody. that's kind of on our kind of just volunteer board. And uh, yeah, those are getting printed up. We've got some meetings with some other sponsors and things like that. So we're waiting for those to finalize so we can put the logos on it and get them printed. And then I'm basically driving around from you know up and down six and all over Central Texas, uh, stopping in and handing out posters and talking to people and just kind of spreading the word that way for the local crowd. Because we really do want this to be a regional event that draws people in, but we also really want to focus on uh, getting people that are in Limestone County and Waco and the surrounding areas to come out to the event and just have something fun that's kind of a event for this community. Oh,
3: it just sounds like a blast. Again, this is going to be the first weekend in September, uh, Labor Day weekend, and it starts on a Saturday or
0: starts on Saturday. Friday. Uh, and you can come out Friday and start mm-hmm. camping, okay. and you can camp through uh, Monday if you want to.
3: Okay, so how can folks get more information?
0: Uh, pretty much everything is on Prixcom and mm-hmm. it's just... Gross Grand Prix, all one word, and there's ticketing information. There's stories on there about some of the particular cars that are coming, uh, some of our sponsors, and some of the cool stuff we have. Like, there's this really great uh, sponsor called Pacto, who made us a vintage 1950s racing helmet, which is going to be our overall prize for the uh, winner who gets Aww. the best time. And it's beautiful because it's white and red with our Gross Bet Grand Prix logo on it, and uh, it's handmade. It's a beautiful vintage helmet, like Sterling Moss or you know any of the old racing drivers would have worn back in the day. Mm,
3: is this is something you you want to see happen year after year.
0: Oh, yeah, this is definitely going to be a uh, annual event if we can make <laughs> it happen. Um, hopefully, everything will go smoothly this first year. I mean, throwing COVID in the mix completely just yeah. was chaos for us. Um, but everyone seemed really dedicated to making sure it still happened. Um, mm-hmm. Our team of volunteers is great. Our charity partner, uh, Drive Towards a Cure, is really, really great. Um, Tell me about that. So Drive Towards a Cure it was started by uh, Deb Pollock. She's a automotive industry, like, Insider. She's been working in the auto industry for years and she uh, was affected through uh, a friend, uh, but the Parkinson's disease was was what they support. Mm -hmm. And she started this charity where they do rallies. Like right now they're doing rallies all summer. You can sign up online at drivetowardsacure.com. Um, or .org, sorry, uh, you can you can sign up online and you raise funds uh, by driving miles and gets matched by Haggerty Insurance, which is a, a great partner for them. Cool. And it raises funds for Parkinson's research. Uh, well, we partnered with her because one of the groups that she works with does research here in Texas through Baylor Scott White and some other, other, other local mm-hmm. um, hospitals. So the money that's raised for the event, from the event, is going to this charity. And that charity is going to redirect those funds to causes here in Texas for research. So uh, it's a really great cause. It keeps the money here in Texas, which we were excited about. We don't have any paid staff. It's all volunteers. Uh, so any of the profits are all going to either drive towards the Cure or to support the Living History Museum that we're basically hosting the event at, Fort Parker, which uh, cool, is yeah. going to be very cool. So.
3: Oh, man. I'm just so delighted to hear about this, Michael. And uh, you can also go to your website, which is thegentlemanracer.com, right?
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of fun stories and stuff on there and even more information about the and Grand Prix.
3: Oh, okay. Thank you so much,
0: Michael. Yeah, thank you for having me.